In a world where radio stations are ten a penny... Can I have ten radio stations, please? That'll be a penny, love. Thank you. There is one radio station... There can be only one. There can be only one. There can be only one. That stands out from the crowd. I want that one. All right. What is this thing? It's River Radio. There can be only one. One that's made entirely out of syrup. <laughs> well, good afternoon, everybody. One o'clock on a Thursday. What could it possibly be, Kath? I wonder. It's got to be uncorked it by the sound of that. Yes, hasn't exactly. It? We've moved from amazeballs to wine. Yes. Well, that wow. was a great show, wasn't it? It was. I mean, it always makes me hungry. No, genuine fan of amazeballs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they're amazeballs. They're amazeballs. Yeah, no, I buy them for, for me and my kids. We snack on them regularly, yeah. Do you know what? I have no idea what maize balls are. Oh, I haven't lived. Nope. They're like super healthy little sort of snack their balls. Yeah. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> you don't make this easy for me. All right. Um, but they with all healthy ingredients, but they taste delicious. And they're like perfect little pudding or a snack. Yeah, I highly recommend them, genuinely. Super. I am a consumer of said, said balls. Oh, I'm pleased <laughs> to hear it. Okay, and um, what are we doing today? We're, we're talking about wine, aren't we? We've got yes, yes. We narrow deep, it down. We're talking about wine. We'll be deep diving very soon. What are we going to be doing for our off the beaten track, though? We're going to we're going to the Greek art and a Greek island. We're going to Greece. We're going to Greece. How exciting! We're going to Santorini to be specific. Santorini. Yes, we're going to Santorini. Huh. Yeah. Mm. So there's lots of food that we can think about that's utterly delicious at the end of the show today. Yeah, we can. Yeah, kebab. But first of all, yeah. We're going to be diving into another part of Burgundy. Oh, yeah, Burgundy. Well, we should dive in then. Deep dive. dive Let's Happy do it. Do that. Dive oh, yeah. in <laughs> to River Radio. Every week, I press the wrong one. They're on the same That's thing, and they've got the same it. name. And every week, I go, is the green one or the pink one? <laughs> do you know what? As long as, we, as long as we dived in, and we dove in a few times then, didn't we? Well, there was a few splashes going on. Yeah, yeah. It's du- a double dive. Can you do that? <laughs> I've heard of a double dip, but not a double dive. So anyway, we are doven. We are doven, yes. We're doven in, because we still can't get our head around that. No, dived in. Dived. Dived, dived, dived and Doven. Dove. But we're going towards Dove. Bergen. Doven's a new one. Oh, I just make it up as I go along. <laughs> Have you, can you not tell? <laughs> Most people realise that about me after I'm about the dovening. first five minutes. I'm Dovening in. I'm Doven, Dovening. Right, yeah. so um, Burgundy and wine is the, um, well, on the agenda. Very, in a very, yeah, in a slightly more narrowed down way, because Burgundy is a fairly big and complicated topic. Oh, right, okay. So we're, we we edged into it with the Beaujolais, mm-hmm. which is officially part of Burgundy in a wine context, but is often treated as separate. And we're, we're moving a little bit further north to another part of southern Burgundy today. We're going to look at the Maconnet. The Maconnet. The Maconnet. Okay. Yes. Is that white wine? Predominantly, yes. About 99% white. Oh. Chardonnay? Yes. Look at you. Ah, do you know what? Those notes you gave me are really useful. <laughs> I do my best to make it easy for you, Brian. I do my best for you every week. So it's Chardonnay. As I said before, Chardonnay is one of those one of those ones I, I don't drink very often because I've had a few that I just don't get on with. Yeah. Um, you know, you know me. I like a Sauvignon Blanc, some like, crisp, yeah, fresh. So it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. It's not going to be super aromatic, but it's a good, great variety for winemakers because they can do stuff with it. 
so you know it's a bit of fun you can choose to use oak you can use malolactic you can stir your leaves you can do different things so what what might the characteristics <laughs> be of a chardonnay from macons macon maconay so Macone. basically um it's a region that's located around a provincial town called macon so I thought for a moment I had a dog barking. It. I think it might be Willow, and Willow clearly has very strong views on the Macaroni. Well, that's all right. Yeah, she's, she's a dog of discerning taste. Um. Yes. Anyway, yeah. So it's a provincial town called Macon, and it's the area that's that's around it. So as you go up into the Cote d'Or, everything's on sort of a narrow strip, and it's quite compact, and every village is next to each other. The Macaroni itself, the vineyards are more spread around and dispersed with other agriculture in between them. So I suppose it looks a bit more like a any other wine region really um so you've got bits and bobs spread out and it's these limestone hills that undulate are where most of the vineyards are located okay undulating lime stone hills yes, yes they roll <coughs> <laughs> rolling and, hills is the terminology and the chardonnay goes so we're, we're, we're it's not going to be as um uh, as what do you say not as aromatic then it's not as aromatic as a sauvignon so they vary in style. A more modest Macon wine probably doesn't have a huge amount of oak. They can be made completely in stainless steel or older vessels. Yeah. And those are usually, they have sort of an apple citrus character to them and a bit of minerality. And they're actually really easy drinking and offer really good value for money. I like the sound of it. Yeah. Is it high acid, low acid? Middle of the road? Sort of more middle, middle to high. I mean, it's not it's as high acid variety as something like a Sauvignon Chardonnay. People often say it's a low acid variety, but then we talked about Chablis the other week and Chablis not light on acid, so I like to think of Chardonnay as a sort of a chameleon grape variety. Mm. It's a bit of a chameleon, so stylistically it can be different from place to place. It can be more tropical in character or it can be more mineral in character. And it depends sort of the nature of the vintage it comes from, the grower's philosophy. So is a grower picking it later and getting more fruit and maybe less acid? Are they ageing it and fermenting it in oak or are they using stainless steel for a large proportion of what they're doing? So all of those things will influence its style directly because it's a great variety it's innately less overt than something like Sauvignon, which has a very clear and obvious aromatic character. Mm. Okay. And you can impose your winemaking <coughs> influence on the grape variety much more clearly. <coughs> yeah. Okay. I just have to say, sorry if anybody is hearing me coughing away here. Brian's not been very well. I've, I've had man flu. Yeah. And, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything more sinister. I checked a number of times. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> Um, it was but, just good old man flu. Yeah, it's just lingering and just sort of like... <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. I, you know. <laughs> Anyone with misophonia, apologies. <laughs> yeah, so back, back to Chardonnay. Yeah, and the Maconay. So it does, it does vary in style here as well. So climatically, it, it's not drastically different to Burgundy. But it is starting to get naturally slightly warmer because you're heading further south in okay. France. Mm-hmm. But one of the most important characteristics of the Macanay is it's less susceptible to spring frosts. So this year we were talking about, I think, one week, the terrible frosts that people have had in spring across northern Europe. But the Macanay would be naturally less susceptible because of where it's located, which me- means that the growers have at least one little bit of a headache taken away, which is quite nice. Yes. Know, growing agriculture of any sort or viticulture is quite stressful. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, I think you, so. You, you are at, in the hands of the gods, as it were, when exactly. it comes to the weather, aren't you? Yes, exactly. Mm. So what you probably most commonly see in the shops here will be things like Macon Village, and it will say Macon Village, and that's an, a title that's reserved specifically for white wines. But you may also see um, that's a blend of villages, likely. 
Um, you might see specific villages as well. So you'll see things like Macon Luni or Macon Mili Lamartine or Macon Prise. And they'll be, that means that's a Macon from the village and surrounding areas of Prise or Luni so that you can get more specific wines. And they sometimes carry a little bit more of a premium because they're a single site wine or a single village wine. Mm. Um, but they do offer really good value compared to the rest of Burgundy. So if you wanted to get into Burgundy, Macon Village and sort of Macon Luni style wines are a really good introduction. Okay. And how, how do you know if these Macon Villages or Macon Dudas have been in barrel? Is there any way apart from just like, like well, reading the back? If you're lucky, there could be a back label. If yeah. you're in a decent wine merchant, they should be able to tell you. Right. For the most part as well, you can use price point. As an example, if they're not crazy money, then usually they probably haven't been put into barrel. Um, and on the whole, things that are more modest, they don't necessarily have, they're nice and fruity and easy to drink, but they don't have the depth of concentration and structure to withstand and absorb oak correctly. So if they have been put in oak, it tends to stick out a little bit more and they're usually less pleasant. But I mean, the bottom line is, if something's more affordable very often, the oak component is not going to probably be as much of an issue because oak barrels cost quite a lot of money and therefore they have a direct impact on the final price of the wine. Yeah, sure, sure. So it's, a, I mean, it's a generalisation and it's not always accurate because other things can be used, but within the EU it's not normally permitted to be sticking things in the wine that... We talked about this one week about the additives people put into <coughs> wines, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We should probably look at that in more detail. Well, you, when they're doing... Although mass- it does slightly put you off drinking wine. Yeah, because they put all sorts... I mean, they, they don't they put like a big tea bag of oak bits in mm. sometimes rather than actually putting yeah. it in... Uh, yeah, yeah. In, or, or staves. Oak, oak chips and chips staves. And, and staves, in fairness, yeah. actually, for some styles of wine, staves can be really good because it keeps the cost down because you haven't got to buy a barrel, but it still gives the flavour that you want to mm. have in the wine, so... Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's back on village and villages, yes. and if it's got the name after it, then that's from uh, not a single vineyard, but a, but that area. So you, yeah. you might get a feel for... And then there are some other sort of more famous areas that produce what are deemed to be the region's sort of very best quality wine. Oh, okay. Often do see a little that's bit where I was going, yeah. Yeah, so the one of the, that you see more commonly now is Viré Classé. So it was actually in 99 that the two villages were put together and given their own appellation of Vire Classe. So Vire and Classe. <laughs> they just put them together. Oh, so it's just name. two names of different villages? Yeah. Okay. And they produce really high quality. There's some great Vire Classe available. And you just need to remember. Yeah. It's, plus all the other ones we've ever t- spoken about and all the other little details. France do make it hard, I reckon. Yeah, exactly. And then there were regions um, in back in the 70s, appellations that probably sound a bit more famous or you might have heard of them, like Saint-Varin. Mm. Um, they were appellations. I think saint Varin used to be called Beaujolais Blanc at one point, way back when, but that's before I was born even, so that's fine. Um, but then Puy Fuisse, which we see ah, quite yeah. regularly here. Yep, and then alongside Puy Fuisse, which isn't far away, you've got Puy Vanzel and Puy Locher. And they, stylistically, there's a similarity between the three of them, if we're completely honest. Okay, um, so these, these are all still, um, in, in this area, they're all Chardonnays, they're yep. all... Yeah, they're, gro- they're grapes that are they're Chardonnay grapes basically that are grown around specific communes of Fuisse 
um, Sultra, um, Puy, Bergisson. Um, so there's, it's like you see the, the you you see estates like Domaine de Roche, which means they're located between two rocks, and they're located between Le Sultra and Bergisson. So you've got these two rocks, and the vineyards are between them, and they're sort of key areas geographically as well as geologically because they influence the area. And yeah, they're, they're specific areas and they're specific wines with different growers producing them, but they're deemed to be sort of the best. Again, grown in limestone. When when uh, winemakers are, are using, you know, like, so these guys, they're using Chardonnay and mm-hmm. then somewhere else they're using uh, Sauvignon uh, Blanc or, or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Are there really distinctive, different methods? Are there things that you would just never do with a Chardonnay that you might do with some other white grape variety? Or is it just a matter I of mean, just there, trying it I mean, there'll be someone... Out? probably doing anything that's different to someone else somewhere and there's always exceptions to the rule that's what I've learned pretty quickly when I started working in the wine trade but traditionally things like Sauvignon wouldn't be put into new wood they have been and some are um, but the majority aren't because as a great variety it has a very distinct aromatic character we talked about before that gooseberry passion fruit or you know blackberry or blackcurrant bush kind of character um, asparagus green pea they're the sort of tasting notes that people associate with Sauvignon Blanc very often and it's aromatic and it's full on and you smell them and it whacks you in the face, it's there. So to put that with sort of the vanilla or smoky character of new oak can yeah. naturally be a bit jarring. Whereas something like Chardonnay, which is a more neutral grape variety, not necessarily in a negative way, works well with those things because it, it seamlessly moves in, which is why you can use more malolactic fermentation, which is, gives that buttery lactic character, especially if it's inoculated so and it works well with oak but again you need to have the concentration and quality of fruit to absorb that oak properly you can't just use it willy-nilly so if you want a Maconnet wine for example that's more akin to a Cote d'Or Burgundy like a Merceau or Puy Fouimé Puy Fouimé God I mean, how the brain's really gone again it's, it's getting worse each week Brian <laughs> everything's slipping in Sauvignon Chardonnays <clears throat> excuse me um, then something like a Puy Fuise would be a better choice because it has oak and you are they usually have oak so you're paying for a wine that is more concentrated and has been treated in a similar way and made in a very similar way whereas something that's more modest like a Macon Village will likely be a sort of a more neutral, fresher, crisper style of wine Yeah, okay And well, usually lighter bodied as well so you get sort of a more medium to full bodied wine in something like a Puy Fuise Okay well, I'm, I've learned something already because, um, yeah. yeah, so Macon Village, I might try one of them just to uh, just to see <coughs> what the... Uh, is. I, think, I think you'd enjoy Macon Village. Oh, I'm sure I would. I think you would. Okay. Um, where do we go from there then? Are we, are we moving up, up a bit, down a bit, left a no, bit, right a bit? No, we're sticking there really. I was going to look just a little bit because people don't often see Puy Vanzel and Puy Locher and when they do, they don't know, are they the same as Puy Fuise? Are they different? Should I try them, really? Right. And as I said before, they they are pretty close together. So Puy Fuise um, actually dates back, it was given its Appalachian in the 30s, but the boundaries for the region of Puy Fuise were actually drawn up in the 1920s, which is fairly early on, because we were doing Chateauneuf the other week. Mm. And so this was given its Appalachian around the same sort of time. Okay. So already the foundation for those rules and designating the area had happened. Um, and... It's sort of, people often talk about the Puy entity, and that's where the Puy Vanzel and the Puy Loche come in. And I do think that they're worth trying as well. Don't just drink Puy Fuise. If you enjoy the Maconnet and you've had these wines before, try the others as well. 
So Puyvanzel, it only makes white wine, mm-hmm. um, obviously, as you said, from Chardonnay exclusively. And they are generally aged in oak, but not usually 100% new wood. So there's a degree of tempering that oak influence. Um, and they're located to the west of the town of Macon, um, glamorously near the Tejové line. So near the... <laughs> The train train line, yeah, (laughs) if you want to locate it visibly in your mind. Um, And again, it's these these, um, limestone slopes that face very much southeast. They're grown at about 250 metres altitude, which helps temper things. Um, And some of them, the actual Vanzel plots, sit more to the east than southeast slopes. So in warmer years, if you want to retain a bit more elegance in your wine, they're a good option because it's the full south-facing slope that get the most sun and ripen the most easily. Okay. So in particularly warm vintages, they're often a better option than maybe a pure south-facing slope wine. Okay. So it's a tip there for you. And Puy Loche, it's another little sub-region, much, again, white wines made exclusively from Chardonnay. Seeing a theme here in the Macone. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All, all, all Chardonnay. Um, this one dates back to about 1940 as Appalachia and it had to fight a bit longer to get it designated and officially seen. But again, back in the 1920s, they'd said this is the boundary for this region. So the, there won't be any more... There isn't like a wall between them. No, no, I, no, no, I didn't think Get off was. my land. <clears throat> yeah, off my land. But there's no, there's no more Puli sort of little villages that are going to pop on board the bandwagon and be going up. Well, as we saw the other week, sometimes they do. Sometimes yeah. they do, but I don't think there's one in the offing at the moment. I could have like Macon... Macon Pou- Brian. Macon Poule Cookham. That you won't be allowed to do because <laughs> you're not in the Macon. Eh? I don't think Cookham can claim... To use that title, the Appalachian rules might they might they might get a bit upset. Yeah, a lovely bit of sunshine once in a while, though. Yeah, and so again, there's not hugely much difference. Um, And again, it's a heath facing, uh, heath heath facing, east facing hillside. Mm -hmm. So the wines sometimes have a little bit more elegance and a little bit more minerality. So, do they ever have? Are they ever in danger of of not getting enough sun in those those areas, or is there plenty? You know, throughout the season, they will do. It's just a matter of when you harvest. Yeah, and sometimes they maybe harvest a little bit later. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the other thing that's worth noting in the region is there is a tiny bit of red made. (laughs) Okay, um, red wine, and it's either Pinot Noir or Gamay because you're between the Beaujolais and the rest of Burgundy you see Pinot Noir and Gamay being grown. Yeah. So, yeah, and sometimes they're blended, but for the most part. And they do make rosé as well. I mean, it's, you know, going around these places... But, I mean, literally, it's a tiny percentage of the percentage. Yeah, 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 tiny. But it's it's it would be really interesting little sort of uh, holiday or a break, just visiting yeah. all these... Do they do they have in these areas, like in... in um, Australia, it's called like the cellar door, as you know. Mm. Do they have the similar sort of thing or not so much in, in France? Not so much in France, but it is starting to emerge more readily. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, it's by appointment only. So as long as you're organised and you book in advance, whereas in Australia, you can just rock up often. Yeah. Um, some are by appointment, but you can just, they always have someone manning the cellar door very often and they have restaurants. They're quite organised like that. You don't see that as much. But if you make an appointment... You can go and visit, and they're very lovely. They're, I mean, it's an incredibly beautiful area. Mm. And sometimes I think seeing the hillsides interspersed with sort of a mixture of fields and vineyards and everything, it's makes for a nice sort of ramble and wander. 
a ramble and a wonder. Yeah. How wonderful. Well, listen, um, there you go. There's uh, Macon. There is the um, uh, the the Maconese. The Maconese, yeah. So that's sort of, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, there is another region we haven't really looked at, which is the Chalonnet, the Cote Chalonnet, but we could do that another time. Oh, you, do you know what? I'm I, I'm getting a bit Frenched out with our deep yeah. dives. Let's go somewhere totally Dif- different. Totally different. Let, let's go China. Oh, God, then, then we've got some pronunciation issues. <laughs> Do they make a lot of wine in China? It's time to do a bit, aren't they? No, and there's some incredible regions, sort of um, arid desert regions that get so cold in winter that you have to bury the vines completely. That would be off the beaten track, wouldn't it? Talking off the beaten track, what's coming up next? Off the beaten track. We're going somewhere sunny. Going somewhere sunny. We're going to Santorini. It's almost like we're going on holiday to the Greek island of Santorini. We're talking wine and we're talking all those lovely things that you can eat with it and probably crisps and everything else. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to River Radio. Probably crisps. (coughs) Almost certainly crisps.
back. That's the Foles. That's the Foles. That's a new one. Pretty good, isn't it? It is. Why'd you choose that? Just because you liked it. Nothing to do with uh, Chardonnay. Wake me up. What's that got to do with Chardonnay? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. Okay, but it was good though. Well, a glass it? of Chardonnay in the morning would definitely wake you up. Well, yeah, well, I don't probably think it'd wouldn't. Be, it would not be a desirable thing to do. I no, think, I wouldn't say. recommend it. Drink less. Drink better quality, not drink, more. Drink better quality, Something, but drink What do we less. used to say? Drink better, not more. We gave up with that, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly sounds like we did today, without a shadow of a doubt. So, um, are we going off the beaten track? We are. Well, let's do it. Oh, there we go. Oh. See, we're rambling. I've got a bit of a sea breeze today. Yeah. More coastal. Blues I've got that feeling. White. I'm visualising blues and whites. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a yacht. Gently. Oh, you see a catamaran. Probably a catamaran. Bobbing. Looks like look, they're having look, a bit of a... Look, look to your left, to the south of the island, and yep. there's piles of cruise ships. We'll ignore them. Right. And we're looking up towards the north. Yes. Little catamaran. Yeah. Bobs across the way. Skirting the edge of the caldera. <sighs> yeah, I know that actually... It's warm. <laughs> sounds really nice. <laughs> right, let's, uh, let's pack up and get a flight to Santorini yeah, sorry, already. Sorry, we're off, everyone. Yeah, thanks. We're, off. we're going oh, to in the mood, though. But actually... We're in Santorini because they do a bit of wine. They do. First of all, I can't believe it's got a huge amount of space. I'm not familiar with the island. Is it? Is it big? Is it small? Is it? No, not particularly big. No, no. You can get a scooter and whiz around it, but you can also probably walk from one end to the other. It won't take you too long. Right. So this is a this is a limited resource. It is yes, which is probably why a lot of wine from Santorini comes at a degree of a premium. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is what I was thinking. That's what I was getting at in a roundabout sort of way. Yes. So it could be at a premium because it is limited to each each um, harvest, but each uh, vintage of years. Is- Excellent. Is it really? It really is, and it's well worth trying. Okay. Oh my god, yes. Okay. I, I, Greek wine. See, yep. again, even if it's coming at a slightly premium price, in comparison for the same quality from sort of those well-known classic wine regions we often talk about, it still offers amazing value for money because there are some sensationally good wines. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine I could be way off course here, but I imagine a lot of it is red because it's slightly warm down yes, there. Yes, but their most famous wine is actually white. Is it? Asiatico, yeah. Right, so, okay. So we're in the Aegean, the southern Aegean, about 70 miles north of Crete. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Do you know where that is? You're thinking... That's in, that's, that's, um, in the Aegean somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, geologically, the island is the remains of an ancient volcano. Okay. So, so um, they often talk about the calderas and you can see... Yeah, so it's volcanic soils. Yeah. Yeah, great for wine. Yeah, so there was basically a... Big eruption. It's an ancient volcano that came up through the ground. You can see edges of the caldera from the the, the side of the coast. The old okay. calderas, I think, are the it's a name, a posh name for bits of volcano. Right? Is it? Is it like a lot of these um, old volcanoes in the Med? They're still not active, but they they have a little bit. They they have tours up there, and they they throw in a bush, and it starts to burn and stuff. Is it? Is it like that? No, I don't think so. No, no, no. and most of them are actually under the sea. So it's, oh. it's, as you look out onto the coast, you can see edges of the old volcano. Uh-huh. Okay. So and obviously the island's built on it. So we're not we're not like Etna here. Right. Well, that's that's good. Yeah, I don't think it's. I think the last volcanic eruption, which buried a prehistoric city, <laughs> was sixteen fifty three BC. Oh, BC. <laughs> so I think we're. I think you're safe visiting Santorini. Right. Good. Well, that's that's a relief. <laughs> okay. So yeah. we've got the the white wine. Then what 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 sort of grapes are they using out there? 
So they've got your obvious, your obvious Greek, great, great, Greek grape varieties. You have things like Valana planted from Re- Recollection, and but Assyrtiko is the main white grape variety. The big challenge you find is that they always spell it differently. Yeah, but all the great Greek, great Greek grape varieties. God, that's a tongue twister. Mm. Greek grape varieties. Um, Greek grape varieties. Yeah, it's hard. See, Greek, Greek grape varieties if we do a word each it's fine (laughs) um you tend that's one of the things i think makes it really hard for greek wine to be successfully marketed isn't because of the quality or the price issues it's because they keep spelling everything differently which makes it quite hard one to pronounce them and two for people to know it's definitely the same thing that they're buying again so these these varieties i mean i've never heard of them um Do they just grow in Greece or actually is it another name for a variety that we call something else? No, most of them are indigenous varieties across the Greece and you'll find others that pop up on different Greek islands and on the mainland. People are now taking them to other places, so Australia, South Africa, they've put through quarantine Greek grape varieties to see how they'll grow over there. Okay. Because this is the thing about these sort of varieties, these Mediterranean varieties, they produce wonderful, so Assyrtiko, for example, produces these incredibly delicious often saline crisp white wines despite the fact they're grown in really warm places so the grapes are naturally adapted to the climate so if you take them to a country we've always taken international varieties like chardonnay which can have less acidity to warmer places like the barossa valley or south africa and stellenbosch but what would happen if you planted something in a similar climate potentially similar or even different soils in another warm place, would they produce wines? So the people are starting to experiment with them to see yeah. if they'll produce good wines. But um, there's a couple of things that make Santorini unique. One is that it's really very windy. It's obviously a Mediterranean climate, but it's an island, so you get significant winds running through, mostly westerly and warm winds. So the vines, they weave a basket using the vine canes. Traditionally, that's what they used to do. They'd weave a basket around to protect the well, grapes inside. Right, the great the the yeah. grapes are in a little basket. Yeah. Well, goodness. Yep. And the other thing is, because it's this sandy volcanic soil, there isn't any phylloxera. Oh. So, yeah, it's... Phylloxera-free. So these are original rootstock. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, the basket vines are seen in vineyards all over the island, and it's they're very cool. Yeah, they're yeah. Very clever, yeah. So you've got this loose-structured, fine-grained soil, topsoil, and then, obviously, it's volcanic. That's is that, is that the only place in Europe where that happens? Where you have the baskets? No, far. well, not the baskets. I meant the rootstock, where where Veloxa isn't there, or is there a couple of there's a couple of patches? There's a couple isn't of patches there? around yeah. the place. Yeah, yeah. Because that must that probably is a premium as well, and the, the baskets as well. I mean, that's, that's a labour. That's a labour. It's a lot of work. Yeah, you're not going to have a machine that pops in the vineyard and does that. No, you have to have a human with okay. skills. Yeah, yeah. They're, but yeah. it's very, very cool. And it's very, it's, it shows how ingenious people could be, though, because they wanted to grow something successfully. So they thought, well, how can we protect this from the wind? I know, let's weave yeah. around the well, So what is the, the, the wind does what? Does it, does it just keep it cool? Would it keep it well, cool? Well, no, because it it's warm. It's the westerly wind in the Aegean, so it's warm and dry yeah. and strong. So, yeah. It, it can, just damages it. it. Eventually, it would cause problems, yeah, potentially. Battering it about I mean, obviously, it. it feels probably, compared to the sun beating down, it helps things. So they don't have issues with rot, for example, very often. Um, but yeah, it's just to temper the influence of that wind and protect it. Because if it's a strong wind as well, you know what coastal winds can be like mm. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, that they, if they're very strong, then obviously they can damage the wine. And if you're on the edge of an island that was once a volcano, then 
you, you don't really have the same kind of protection. It's not like you've got a forest acting as a windbreak like you do in other wine regions and things. Sure. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- this, this white, what was the white, the famous white one again? Acetico. So Acetico. Growing that way, yeah. And the y- yields are usually really quite low as well, which is another thing which influences the price of the wine. Because mm-hmm. they're not making, you know, they're not yielding huge yields every year. Okay, and and this sort of wine then mm-hmm. is going to be what? Is it is it crisp and yes. aromatic Yeah, it's crisp and aromatic. When it's produced in Santorini particularly, it has a real saline, salty character to it. I think the best ones don't see huge amounts of oak or no oak at all because you get a very clear character and it's almost the influence of the soil and the sea. Um, if they're grown inland they're often more peachy and they nod a little bit more towards something like an albarino so if you get it off mate from mainland greece or even from crete you get a different style of acetico than you do from santorini santorini acetico is particularly unique okay yeah. and and that that that, that sort of saline mm. so that, that's probably the sea breeze is it just constantly i'm sure it's got to have an influence yeah yeah it's just picking up sort of moisture from the sea and dropping it all over the vineyards yeah and into the soil and then back up into the vine yeah but it, they do have a very distinct character that's very different to um, an acetico from Crete. They're both delicious, but they they taste very different. But Crete's not a massive um, place either, is it? Is it a little bit bigger? Yes, it's bigger. It's quite a bit bigger, isn't it? Yeah. yeah okay. um, but they have amazing vineyards that go back a long, long time, over 100 years. Oh. Yeah. And then you've got sort of some sort of, you know, Byzantine ruin in the middle of the vineyard. I mean, w- welcome to Greece. I mean, it's a pretty awesome place to visit, regardless yeah. of what island you're on or the mainland, if you're going to visit vineyards, because they're incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they would use, would they use the same sort of barrels that they do in France, like um, European barrels, I guess? Yeah, they often bring in French oak, yeah. They, they bring in French, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, other great varieties that you'll see them planting, I mean, you probably haven't heard of any of them. No, probably not. A theory? Yeah, is that a Bitcoin or something? <laughs> Idani, those are both white grape varieties. Um, but then you also you see grape varieties planted red grapes, so things like Asiagitico, Mandalaria, and stylistically, people say that the the reds often nod towards Amaronian style. I would have said that was probably true a while back, but nowadays with modern winemaking practices, you're seeing often wines blended maybe with an international grape variety so it feels more familiar to the normal marketplace okay but even if they're not they're often more refined and they're getting to understand how to deal with the wines but they also make quite a famous um van santo there as well like a dessert wine also called van santo in the same way that we talked about van santo from tuscany let's have a wine from a totally different place with different grape varieties and call it the same thing um which is a sweet wine which is yeah it I mean, gets a bit confusing, isn't it? it nothing about wine is ever simple. That's it's really the problem. not. It's, it's really just, not. It's all made to challenge you. Yeah. I just keep it simple. We got just white or we've got red. Do you know, I actually went into a hotel once I was mm-hmm. staying at and said, oh, what ones have you got? And they went, we've got white. And he actually looked round and he goes, and we got red. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. I had a friend who visited a place in America and they said, do you have wine? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got red, white and rosé. And she <laughs> said, what's the rosé? And he went, well... It's a blend of the red and white. <laughs> and they literally just mixed red and white in a glass. No, they, they and did. And it, it was oh, not a joke. Beautiful. I was like... Home blending. Classy establishment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's the rosé? Well, it's a mix of the two. <laughs> Thanks. I'll go with the beer, please. Yeah. <laughs> God. You've got to worry about the quality of your wine. A little yeah. bit. Just a little bit. So there is one other style of wine that's 
significant in Santorini and they're called Nicteri. All right. And these are overripe grapes or very ripe grapes. Overripe always sounds negative. And they're given skin contact during the early part of their fermentation process. So they leave them, they're white, they leave them in contact with the skins. So they draw out the phenolics from the skins. And then they're then barrel aged for three to ten months. So they're a very specific style. They usually have a decent amount of alcohol in them as well. And they're named for the Greek term for working all night because the grapes were traditionally harvested at night to avoid complications with the heat during the day. Because if you're picking grapes in the heat of the day, it's not ideal. Yeah. But they're quite rich compared to something like a classic Assyrtico in style. I was thinking they'll be rich. But they often have sort of like a honeysuckle kind of character they can be really good a good nectar is really it, good it was almost like if you're if you're going to sort of leave leave them on on in the skins and stuff it's almost like it, it's mm. it is a dessert wine type thing yeah but they're still fermented through to dryness okay so what you get when you leave white wines on the skins very often is a much more phenolic style of white wine so phenolic. more structured so phenolic so you so even white grapes can have tannins in the skin and the phenolics are the tannins so you often get a little bit more grip and texture to it if it's not left for long on its skins all it does is it creates a wine that's slightly more full-bodied and you're extracting lots of the flavour compounds that are maybe residing in the skin. So you get, you know, an aromatic style of wine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds interesting to, um, you know, try one of these. What was that one called again? The one where they leave it on the skins? Nick Terry. So N-Y-K-T-E-R-I. Nick Terry. Yes. But if you see that on a label, that's what it means, working at night. So would you, if if it went down my local co-op, you might struggle with that. <laughs> <laughs> you might need to find a specialist merchant or a, just a good wine merchant. Where can we go? Of. Where can we go? Okay. If only we knew a good if wine merchant. Well, if we Actually, went, I don't often have many Greek wines. Me personally, oh, don't you? I love them, and we do use them in our subscriptions. We've used quite a few. We've used ones from the, the foothills of Mount Olympus and things like that. Okay, so we do like them. We absolutely, well, I drink them and I love them, but. Um, yeah, I don't have a stock of them permanently. I can't imagine that there's a massive, great abundance of them from these little Greek islands. Mm. You know, if, if Australia want a few and USA yeah. want a few, and UK want market, a few. Because obviously if you've got a, a yeah. market with a tourist industry... There's hardly any left, is there? successfully sell them, yeah. And, and of course, the, um, a lot of wines now are, are going over to China because they like buying up wine. Is that, that's more um, from France, though, I think, isn't it? They, they love their French, don't they? Yeah, and particularly... Red. Yeah. Auspicious colour for them. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah. But yeah, they they love a bit of... Um, um, <coughs> Bordeaux. Bordeaux. <laughs> <laughs> they do indeed. Can't get enough of it. Okay, so um, after the uh, next track, we're going to... We didn't talk about food, and this is always my favourite bit because I do love thinking what foods are going to go. Is it, do I, can I we have started with the maize balls and we're finishing with food? Yeah, can I can I get like a uh, a prawn? Is that going to go with manikon or and whatever the hell? Nick the, Terry, the, nearly, the curry. nearly, nearly. You know, or, you know, it, what's going to go? How, if only we knew how to match oh, wine see, and food. It's, the world is your lobster with this one. Well, hey, so we're coming up. That's all coming up after this next song. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to River Radio. It's a voice of the Thames Valley. Well, there's a will, there's a week, kind of beautiful. And every night has a state so magical. And if there's love in this life, there's no obstacle that can't be defeated. For 
every tyrant a tear for the vulnerable In every loss all the bones of a miracle For every dreamer a dream were unstoppable With something to believe in Monday left me broken Tuesday I was through with hoping Wednesday my empty arms were open Thursday waiting for love Waiting for love Thank the stars It's Friday I'm burning like a fire Gone wild on Saturday Guess I won't be coming to church On Sunday I'll be waiting for love Waiting for love To come We're, we're, we are here, don't worry. We are here, I promise we're here. Who did we just listen to? What was that? Little that was Avicii. Avicii? Wake me up. Or Waiting for Love, because uh-huh. I think the Greek islands need some love. Personally, okay. that one did have a tenuous link. Beautiful. Yeah, they good, were good, waiting good. for the masses to discover them. That, well, do you know what? 
we could all discover it and then there wouldn't be enough of it to go round. So this is, this is this is very true, yeah. This is the trouble, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So anyway, we are now going to start um, talking about some matching and, we're, you know, we don't have the matching theme tune anymore. But let's so just, we, we will press one. Let's dive in again. We'll dive into the food. Hey. Oh, I love diving in. Big bowl of soup. <laughs> Big bowl of soup. <laughs> soup and wine, does that go? Yes. Is it? Yeah, it depends on the soup. Depends on the wine. Mmm. Yeah. Mmm. I tell you what I really like. Yep. Complete tangent, but um, a good leek and potato soup with a dry sherry. Like a fino style sherry or a manzanilla. It's delicious. Is it really? Yeah. Highly recommend it. So why does fino go with leek and potato? Well, it has sort of that crisp character. It's that sort of crisp yeasty character and it, it cuts through the richness of the soup. It's really nice. Mmm. People don't think about having sherries with food, and sherry works amazingly with food. Well, I did. I, did, I went to Hareth oh, Sherry Place once, amazing. and it was on the coast. I think I told you about it. They mm. made some little seafood, and I think it was a fino or something. It was yeah. just beautiful. Really Absolutely good. beautiful. Matching that. But we're talking about matching. Sorry, yes. Are we matching the Greek one, or are we matching the French one? Let's do the we Greek We can one. do a bit of everything, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's, let's go Greek. Okay. First. Right. You go well, first. Well, I mean, logically, there's lots of things. They make these amazing... Um, Amazeballs? Amazeballs, yeah. Um, tomato fritters. They're okay. Delicious, and they're delicious with the Certico. They're amazing. That's just a match made in heaven. But they also do like a... It's almost like a dip. They're sort of like mashed fava beans, and you get those a lot in Greece. Well, like a hummus type thing. Yeah, but not quite. It doesn't taste the same as hummus. But yeah, it's not dissimilar. And that's really good with wines like a Certico and any of the Greek whites, but it works really well. Yeah. Greek but salad. Sea, sea, it's Greek salads, yeah. yeah. But seafood, surely, that's got yeah. to be the seafood, one that... Seafood is, yeah, anything like that's really good, so... Do they have any special seafood dishes down in Greece or, or in, in... I'm sure they have loads. I'm sure they do, but, but I But often it's things like just really nicely grilled... Grilled. Gr- grilled, good quality fish, just grilled really fresh. fresh literally fresh and grilled, yeah. Those octopus. Red, those little tavernas that you go into and... and it's a really good octopus. You go, oh, can I have the menu? And they go, well, that's what we caught today. You go, oh, oh, that will do. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, amazing. Amazing balls. Mm. That's it now. That's your word for the day. That's it. <laughs> but that really, it. really good. And souvlaki, obviously, which is like the like the gyros, the kebabs. Oh, okay. They, yeah, they, they're sort of grilled meat, especially with the reds, obviously. That works really well. So do you think the... Spankapita, <coughs> so spinach, feta kind of flavours. Chicken donna. <laughs> With extra chilli sauce. Well, I'm just That's saying. not actually, it's, it, it, it's not dissimilar to a gyro. So yeah, I'll allow you that. All right then. Crisps. Donna. Oh, crisps, yeah. Donna so. kebab, favourite crisps. Do you know, didn't walkers used to do those? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Really? <clears throat> when was the last time you had a donna kebab? I'm really hungry. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> you really are. Actually, a long time ago, when I lived in East London, yeah, back in the day, right, we I used to live lived, in East London. yeah, near the Bethnal Green, mm. and there was a great place called City Kebabs. I don't know if it still exists. They used to do good kebab. Yeah, I've never been a fan of the the sort of doner kebab, the lamb one, elephant leg. It just doesn't look right to me. That's not right. It could be anything. The marinated there. kebabs are always really good. They're beautiful. And and yeah. the chicken, yeah. Donna, actually you can see those are actual pieces of chicken that mm. have been marinated and and they're they're lovely. Mm. But a donna, I don't know, just like a it's almost like sausage meat. 
But you could always tell the quality of a kebab shop mm. by the chilli sauce. I always felt that was always their benchmark. They had a good chilli sauce they made themselves. Right. It was always good. You know, and, and the little, um, the little uh, pickle. Ch- oh, I love those chilies. Oh, I have extra chili. of those. Yeah. Oh, a little chilli. We have more than one. Yeah. yeah. And we're having, what, what wine are we having with it again? Ajigitico. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're wandering in kebab shop with your bottle of Ajigitico in your hand yeah. and you get your kebab in your head Yeah. Home. Yeah, say, so yeah. look, I want a kebab to go with that, mate. See, we've, we've progressed now from crisps to Donna kebab. There's no hope for us. <laughs> there is genuinely no hope. We had one as well that used to do a really nice, you could do like a, a veggie pitta. Mm-hmm. And they'd stuff it with their own homemade hummus and loads and loads of salad. And if you wanted chilli sauce on that and the pickles as well, the pickled chilies, you could have that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was quite good. Do you know, there's a, I know we're talking about uh, Greek, but they... The Turkish uh, food often has kebab type things as well. Mm. There's a there's a Turkish restaurant in Bourne End. Have you ever been there? No. Yeah. Is there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Along the parade. Oh, it's... I live under a rock. This is terrible. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been there for out. a couple of years, I think. See, there's no hope for me, is there? Does anybody know if it's good? Has anybody been to the Turkish Let restaurant? Let us know. In... Let us know. Just um, email um, Kath at River Radio. Yeah, let me know if it's good. Yeah. And if it is, well, I, I'll tell you because I'm going to go straight there as soon as you finished it. Exactly, because you're that hungry. Yeah, so there's lots of there's lots and lots of delicious things that will work. And the vine leaves, the wrapped vine leaves you get all oh, over. that's right, yep. I love them so much. Do you know what? They're, they're usually cold, aren't they? They're cold mm. with rice in and stuff mm. like that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. And amazing, just amazing quality vegetables. But they, are, they are actually vine leaves mm-hmm. from grapevines. Yeah, and they've, everyone makes them slightly differently. I think everyone's, you know, grandma or mum taught them their family recipe and you can get some amazing ones. Can I really like them, but depends where you are. Obviously, you know, it's harder to get here, good ones. Yeah. But when you're there, I've never had a bad one. Do you take those things with the vine leaves, mm-hmm. those wrapped vine leaf thingies, mm-hmm. and match them with the grape that the wine is that you're drinking it from? I wouldn't even know which vine they came from. They're usually just given to me. But I've had them with reds mm. and whites, but they work well, especially sometimes they've kind of got a minty kind of, they've got herbs inside them. Yeah. And they're really nice with the whites. Okay. In fact, when I had them once with grape growers in the mountains in Crete, the wine, I, we, none of us knew what it was. It was basically in an old plastic bottle. They made it themselves for drinking at home. And it was just in an old plastic drinks pot bottle. And we just all drank that and had the food and it was delicious. Wow. Really, really good. Yeah, just yeah. really simple, but just yeah. so nice, fresh. And often that's the best food when people are kind enough to welcome you into their home and cook for you. You get the most amazing food. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. <clears throat> um, and crisps. Crisps. Oh, what God, what crisps would you go stumped. with? I, uh, see, I see, I'd bore you. I'd go classic. You know, those posh ones I told you about that were cooked in olive oil. Mm. Those would be good with... Yeah, because that olive oil, mm. that Mediterranean mm. nuance. Yeah. I, I'm with you there. I think that would oh work. Oh my goodness, you're going for a plain crisp. Yeah. Hell plain. has frozen over. It has indeed. It has indeed. So, um, okay, so quick um, challenge, Kath, section. Go on then. All right then. Oh no, that's far too easy. I've got, I've got, I've no, just. ask me something that I can No, this is, this is, okay. We're about which, space again, mountains which, on the moon. <laughs> Which two grapes make up the most of Bordeaux? That's easy. Well, it's got to be Cabernet and Merlot. <laughs> yep. Um, at what temperature should champagne be served? Oh, that's a good question. That is actually a good question because I sometimes think that fridge temperature is a bit too cold. Ooh. But between five and eight degrees, I'd say. 
Okay. What do they say? Well, they say between 7 and 12 degrees Celsius. Probably with 12 is getting the, the cork out without it exploding. <laughs> right. If served too cold, it's considered impossible to appreciate the subtle, complex flavours. You see, my theory here is that you should pour it when it's cold because it's easier to control and easier to pour so mm-hmm. it doesn't foam up everywhere. But then by the time you've poured them and handed them out, the temperature will have naturally risen in the glass. I'm with you. Yep, I'll go with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which US president toured Bordeaux in 1787 and pronounced a ranking of the best regional wines I have- and produced... Absolutely no idea. Thomas Jefferson. Funnily enough, logically, he's the one with the most wine quotes, but my knowledge of American presidents is pretty rubbish. Mm. Mine is as well. Um, I've I've asked you that one before. Any more, any more, any more? Uh, Okay, Uh, how about um, which country is the leading wine producer in the world? It tends to change, but it was Spain at one point in terms of volume. Is this in terms of volume or... Um, it doesn't say, but it surprised me what it's, it is. I would, I would have definitely gone for somewhere else. Go on, what is it? It says here, Italy. Oh, Italy, Spain, yeah. Well, Spain, it used to be Spain. Goodness. Would you believe it? Well, there's just lots of wine made. Well, I'm, I imagine there is. It's yeah. a leading <laughs> wine. <laughs> I would have gone Spain, but yeah. I wonder what the difference is between them or when they, sh- they shifted and moved. No, no. Okay, and these are the sort of questions that I really like. Then, um, what was the what grape variety would the moon be best at growing? <laughs> yeah, because that's porous. It's you know, it's dry <laughs> and arid. Um, what was the most expensive bottle of wine, not champagne, ever sold? Oh God, there was this was sold. It was fairly recent. It was actually, yeah, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, I can't remember what it went for and what the wine is now, but it wasn't it was it a. Was it a Romney Conte? It was. Oh my yeah. goodness. And I can't remember the price, but I know, I remember after it was sold, as everyone was talking about it, and I was at a wine lunch, and a wine journalist was saying that he was hoping he'd get to taste it because he knew the person who had bought it. Goodness. Mm. You know, that's, that's about $10,000. What was the sip. price? It was hundred. $558,000, so that's over half a million dollars for a bottle of 1945 Romane Conti. That's probably from Italy, isn't it? No, it's from France. It's from the actual Burgundy. <laughs> from, I don't know. It's from the village of Vain Romane. Oh, well, that, that makes sense. Burgundy. Yeah, that, that, that's that, where that, most of their vineyards are. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. All right, smarty pants. <laughs> <coughs> well, uh, there we go. Um, oh my goodness me. That's a lot of money so we spoke, for a bottle of wine. It is a lot of money for a bottle of wine. We spoke about crisps, we spoke about Greek wines, we spoke about French wines. Yeah. What can we possibly be talking about next week? Well, I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go with wine additives. Are you? Yeah, because we talk about them, allude to them all the time, and we yep. never go into it. And I think it's often the big difference between there are some things that are used in winemaking yep. that aren't necessarily bad, and some things that are possibly not desirable. And it's the difference. Yeah, we, we should maybe look at what they put in the wine. We're looking yeah. at steaks, tea bagging, all that sort of thing. <laughs> Is that what we'll be looking at? Yeah. I'll be. Because you can add acid and all sorts. Yeah, you see. Mm. Yeah, we're getting you back on the straight and narrow. Yep. yep yeah, yep, yep. so I think wine additives, and you want to go somewhere other than France. So, yeah. 
Have you been anywhere fancy? We could do somewhere in Italy. Or we could do, or we could go, how about South Africa? Happy to do South Africa. Let's go South Africa. We haven't been there very much. One of my most favourite places for wine. Oh, how exciting. South Africa and uh, additives, stuff you shove in to spruce it up a bit. Well, yeah. Not everyone uses it. I think yeah, they're voting here, but they, I think it's worth understanding what what can be added to wine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Okay, super. Well, listen, that's just about it for Uncork today with Kath and Brian River Radio on the web, on mobile, on on Alexa. Um, we're the voice of the Thames Valley, don't you know? Um, and don't go anywhere because there's loads more stuff coming up. Um, in the uh, coming days. So do listen. The coming days are good. What day are we? Yes, we're, we're, we're tomorrow. And then the next day there'll be stuff. Um, and also, listen again. If you go to River.radio, you can find your favourite show and you can listen again on Spotify, on podcasty type things, wherever you get your podcasts from. How about that? Wherever you get them. It's awesome. It's all there for you. What more could you want? I don't think much more. Yeah. I think you'd be happy with that. Fantastic. We'll see you next week at yes. uh, one o'clock on a Thursday for more Uncorked. Until then, be safe and remember... Drink better, not more. <sighs> the soundtrack to life in the Thames Valley. River. Radio. On the web. To the Batmobile. Let's go. On your mobile. Hello. And on Alexa too. River Radio. That's it. Hmm, I pronounce that river radio, but I'm always working on how I say things and I might not have it right. Thank you.